Hello and welcome to the latest Interactive Investor Funds Fan podcast. I'm Carl Caldwell, Collectives Editor at Interactive Investor. Later on in the podcast, I'll be speaking to Fund Manager Zered Osmani of Leg Mason Martin Curry. I will also be joined at the end of the podcast by Dmitry Lipsky, Head of Fund Research at Interactive Investor. Dimitri will be running through one of the new additions to Interactive Investor's expanded ACE list. For those not in the know, Interactive Investor last October launched the UK's first list of ethical investments. This is a filtered selection of funds, investment trusts and ETFs that invest across a broad variety of markets. The list is aimed at all investors, whether you are new or experienced. A year on from the list being launched, the list has been expanded from the ACE 30 to the ACE 40, although in total there are 42 funds. The decision to increase the number of funds was driven by the fact that compared to a year earlier, there are now a greater number of ethical funds with sufficiently long enough track records to scrutinise and consider endorsing. As well as selecting a range of investments, Interactive Investor also breaks down how the fund manager invests into one of the three following ethical buckets. The buckets are avoids, which is funds that exclude specific companies, sectors or business practices, considers, which is strict environmental, social and governance criteria, such as pollution levels, and embraces. These funds focus on companies that deliver positive social and or environmental outcomes, such as renewable energy. For more information, check out ii.co.uk slash ii-ace. Next, I have with me Tom Bailey, ETF editor at Interactive Investor, to run through a couple of news items that concern fund and trust investors. First off, Tom, open-ended commercial property funds were once again in the spotlight, could you explain why these funds are at potential risk of an ISA ban? Yeah, so HMRC said that it's considering a ban on new investments in open-ended property funds in ISAs. So the heart of the issue is the FCA's recent proposal for open-ended property funds to no longer offer daily liquidity, but instead uh, introduce a 180-day notice period, meaning investors will have to wait effectively six months to sell their holdings. This would create a bit of a problem for investors because of the current ISA rules, which mean investors have to be able to access their funds or transfer them out of an ISA within 30 days of making an instruction to their account manager. So HMRC has said that it may ban any new investments being made in these funds within the ISA wrapper. Uh, whether this means buying into new open-ended property funds or adding to existing holdings isn't entirely clear, but it should be stressed that HMRC has made it clear that it will not force those with existing open-ended property fund holdings in the ISA wrapper to now sell or remove their funds. I think that's very sensible because um, I think it would be completely wrong for um, investors who hold commercial property funds in an ISA to be forced sellers um, and have to unwind positions um, as this puts investors at an immediate disadvantage. The other news item of note was Scottish Mortgage's half-yearly results. The trust, which is one of Interactive Investors' Super 60 choices, has reduced exposure to some of the tech giants. Tom? Could you run through what those changes were? Yeah, sure. So in their half-yearly results, the, the managers, James Anderson and Tom Sater, 
noted they'd sold or trimmed a couple of their big tech holdings, so such as Tesla, Amazon, Facebook, Tencent. So when it comes to Tesla, the trust has sold around 40% of its shares in the company. That's raised them about £1.2 billion. Uh, however, this sale shouldn't be seen as a, as a loss of faith in the company by the trust. Uh, it's still the biggest holding at around 12%, but rather the position has simply got too big from a diversification perspective. Um, it's kind of regular for Scottish mortgage to trim holdings because of this reason. More interestingly, the decision to trim Amazon was not due to such diversification concerns. And this is the first time it has sold stock in, in the company for any reasons other than this. So while the trust still has a position at Amazon, it, it seems to be losing some confidence in it. It decided a small position is, is warranted out of a belief that Amazon's huge $1.5 trillion market cap makes future returns more challenging. When it comes to Facebook, the trust sold the last of its few remaining holdings. Um, the trust's managers have expressed a lack of faith in Facebook for a while now uh, and have been trimming their holdings in the past. And then also notably, the trust announced that it had invested more in food delivery companies uh, such as China's, and I hope I'm pronouncing this right, Meituan, uh, M-E-I-T-U-A-N, and Germany's Delivery Hero, as well as the American e-commerce company Wayfair. Um, and, and this is kind of also broad part of uh, the managers highlighting that they increasingly saw opportunities outside of the big giant American tech platforms that have done so well in recent years. And there's more opportunities out there beyond beyond that that kind of small basket of stocks that have done so well lately. Thank you, Tom, for running through the latest portfolio activity of Scottish Mortgage Investment Trust. For the next part of the podcast, I'm moving on to a, another global fund manager, and that is Zered Osmani, who runs a number of unconstrained funds for Leg Mason Martin Curry. Zered is also the lead manager of the Martin Curry Global Portfolio Trust. Zered, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Zered, it's been an eventful year to say the least. What's your views on where markets are today? At the time of this recording is a couple of days on since markets have been given a boost following the potential breakthrough of a vaccine for COVID-19. Does this potential breakthrough change your outlook at all for markets? Yeah, Carl, so you're absolutely right. It's been a very eventful year and uh, everybody will look back on this as being an exceptional year. If you look at the pandemic crisis uh, hitting in February, March, we've had the fastest bear market since uh, 1929, uh, followed by the fastest bull market since the early 70s. So for investors, it's probably been uh, very difficult to navigate. It's certainly been very volatile. And um, we've then gone through the summer with the debate around shape of the recovery. Uh, and then uh, heading into this uh, pandemic relapse risk, as we called it. Uh, some economies have uh, gone into partial lockdown again. Of course, this uh, vaccine is indeed very good news, especially given uh, what looks like very strong efficacy. We're going to come back to the outlook in, in a moment. But generally, yes, it's been very volatile environment. Uh, there's been in addition to the pandemic crisis and the severe recession that that's brought, there's been a lot of other aspects to capture, not least the fact that policymakers have been very quick to react and support the economies, both on the monetary side and also on the fiscal uh, stimuli side, which have been pledged, which have been very significant. At times have been uh, well over 10 percentage points of GDP of some of the major economies. So that is an important aspect to take into account when talking about what could be the shape of that recovery. 
Uh, and then, of course, the U.S. elections have also provided some volatility. So in answer to your question, in volatile environments, for us, it's important to think about the long-term picture as investors and constantly assess the shape of the world and the shape of the outlook on a long-term time horizon, uh, which permits us to move away from the short-term volatility and properly focus our uh, investment conclusions on fundamentals rather than uh, trading uh, activity or indeed sentiment uh, overshoots or undershoots. So then in terms of your, your vaccine uh, your vaccine point, the important aspect there is that it does permit us to see light at the end of the tunnel in terms of proper return to a normal economic activity. But there's still a lot of uncertainties to capture as part of that. One of them being the fiscal stimuli that I mentioned and the magnitude of them. The question there is how quickly will this fiscal stimuli make it into the real economy? That will dictate some of that economic momentum and uh, the speed of the recovery of economies. Secondly, there's the underlying uh, labor market deterioration, which uh, we have been going through, and that could weigh on economic activity. So again, something to take into account. And finally, there's the underlying weak deflationary environment or weak inflationary environment, I should say, and indeed uh, underlying deflationary trends that are coming through from the various major disruptions that have either been accelerated or have been coming through on a structural basis. Those mean that yields will likely stay low for long. In fact, central bankers, the main central banks around the world are effectively telegraphing that message to investors. So in an environment of low yields environment, it is a challenge for investors to find attractive uh, asset classes. In terms of the global investment trust you manage and also the open-ended Leg Mason, Martin Curry, global long-term unconstrained fund, both invest in various themes. Could you run through what a couple of those are? Yes, sure. What we've put in place is a structured analytical framework that uh, helps us think about the long-term structural growth opportunities. So we have identified three mega trends, which are demographic changes, future of technology, and resource scarcity. And if you think about it, we could be here in 10 years or 20 years time again, and we will still be talking about demographic changes. We will still be talking about future of technology, and we will still be talking about resource scarcity. So these are mega trends that are very long duration. Within those, there are themes, and those themes might change over the various decades that we might be talking about. But typically, what we focus is on making sure that we're gaining exposure to themes that we think have got strong structural growth prospects and that offer an attractive valuation opportunity. So if you look at the demographic changes, the portfolios are very exposed to the long-term structural growth trend of uh, growth in emerging market middle class. We also think urbanization is an important aspect. And the aging population is, of course, another very strong driver of potential investment opportunities. In future of technology, we've got uh, things like cloud computing in particular, uh, but also cybersecurity. And in resource scarcity, electric vehicles is an important focus, but also everything to do with the renewable energy and therefore the whole theme of climate change as part of the resource scarcity. 
for us, resource scarcity is not just natural resources. We're also looking at infrastructure as a resource scarcity. Uh, we're looking at uh, education as a resource scarcity or indeed human capital. And that's why robotics and automation is an important theme for us. And then finally, whilst we're talking about infrastructure, we think uh, healthcare infrastructure will be an important focal point. We think no government in their own mind will come out of a pandemic crisis without an increased focus on upgrading the infrastructure in healthcare. And there are some very interesting opportunities in that space. And you invest in those themes within those mega trends in a very concentrated way. Both the fund and the investment trust have around 30 holdings. Could you explain why you have so few holdings compared to other funds? Yeah, you're absolutely right, Kyle. Our approach is to focus very much on high conviction and capture those high convictions in portfolios that are concentrated. And the importance here is that we are able to focus our research efforts on solely 30 stock ideas and really attend to them in a continuous way, ensuring that they stay high conviction and that we know these companies both in terms of gross potential and returns potential, but also in terms of risk profile that we're able to then feed into an aggregate portfolio analysis of the various risk profiles that we uh, are gaining from those 30 stocks. And our analysis on the risk side is focusing on fundamental risk exposures. And these, in our view, are more accurate renditions of portfolio risk exposures. So the importance of a high conviction approach and focusing on best ideas is that you put your client's capital solely on the best ideas that come out of your research. And that we have found tends to give you a stronger chance of generating strong alpha for our investors. Both the fund and trust also hold less exposure compared to competitors in the US. You hold around 40 to 45%, whereas other funds hold between 50 to as much as 65%, um, sometimes even higher than that. Is this a reflection that the US is looking pricey on valuation grounds? Yeah, Kyle, thanks for that question. And it's uh, indeed a big differentiator in our strategies to have been uh, sizably underweight the US equity market. This is something that has come from our bottom-up analysis in terms of where we find stock ideas and attractive stock opportunities. So indeed, the element that you mentioned about valuation and where we find more attractive ideas has been outside the US market. Uh, secondly, we've got none of the fans, and that's again a differentiator. So not having the US equity market in the same uh, size as uh, some of our peers or indeed the fans has, it's got to be said, been the wrong um, investment decision because that's been the strongest performing equity market regionally uh, at the global level. And uh, the FANGs have been strong performers. But on the, on the positive side, we've been able to generate strong returns despite not being exposed to those areas of the market where we think there is a consensual exposure. And have you had no exposure to the fans for a long time, or has that been a more um, recent decision over the last couple of years? We've had very little exposure to the fans in general. Um, at one point, we had uh, exposure to Apple, and we switched that into Microsoft, where we found a more attractive upside potential, a similarly attractive gross profile and returns profile. In fact, uh, to some extent, a uh, more attractive gross profile than uh, Apple. Uh, for the other uh, letters in the fangs, uh, 
We've been concerned for some of them about regulatory threats of which antitrust focus that's uh, increasingly becoming more of a talking point. And then for some of the names, we've also been uh, concerned about their potential to continue to generate strong growth given uh, the size that they got to, uh, given potentially also their ability to recruit new customers being lesser for various reasons, such as a reduction in customer trust, for example. And then for some of the names, and we can be more specific if you want, Carl, but uh, to stay high level, we've also been uh, concerned about the competitive threats. And it's been particularly the case in uh, in uh, names like Netflix, where uh, there is a lot of competition for content, whether it's coming from Amazon Prime Video, Apple TV, Disney, or the likes. And therefore, that competition for content, we think, could drive down returns potential in that sub-segment. Finally, I wanted to ask you about Europe, which does seem to be a bit of a core focus for the fund and the trust um, at a round of affairs of assets. Could you give us a flavour of the sorts of businesses you invest in? Are they domestically focused or global businesses that happen to be listed in Europe? They tend to be globally focused businesses uh, for all of them. And in fact, uh, Europe has got a very good number of companies that have got leadership positions globally. And typically, also, if you look at the European equity market, it tends to give you more exposure to the global trends uh, rather than the US equity market, which might be somewhat more domestic. Uh, Even if you look at Latin American exposure, you get on aggregate more exposure to Latin America through Europe equities rather than US equities. So the first point being that these are international companies that are, are well exposed and many times have got very dominant market positions and able to capture the long-term structural growth opportunities that come from emerging markets, for example. There are also companies uh, that are in niche areas of expertise. So luxury goods clearly is something that Europe is a leader in and we have good experience exposure to luxury goods companies, and that's uh, one area. Then when you look at healthcare, there are a few leaders in uh, areas such as dental implants uh, that we uh, favor, uh, uh, to give you an example. And in the industrial names, we've got some good leaders in some areas of industrials that are able to capture that cyclical recovery that we've been talking about at the start of uh, our discussion. Finally, in the IT space, we've got a few leaders in robotics and automation that operate and, in fact, are quoted in Europe, but operate international. Thank you for your time today. Appreciate you coming on the podcast. Thank you very much, Kyle. For the final part of the podcast, I'm joined by Dmitry Lipsky, Head of Fund Research at Interactive Investor. Dmitry, you've picked one of the new additions to the ACE40, the Bailey Gifford Positive Change Fund, Can you tell us what the fund aims to achieve? The fund um, has two objectives of uh, equal importance. The first one being to deliver attractive long-term investment returns and at the same time to contribute towards a more sustainable and inclusive world. There are no compromises. Each holding must be able to deliver on both objectives. And the fund adopts a team-based approach it's run by the two investment managers, Kate Fox and Lee Kwan, and the two, well, they are both supported by the two senior impact analysts. They have access to uh, Bailey Gifford's extensive resources uh, who all bring different expertise to the investment process. 
core to the manager's philosophy is a belief that investment returns and impact are complementary. So both are considered throughout the investment process. Stock selection is driven by fundamental company research along with strong impact criteria. A company has to deliver positive change in one of four areas, social inclusion and education, environment and resource needs, healthcare or quality of life. So when we um, open the bonus, what will um, what will people find in the fund? Well, the, the team are bottom-up stock pickers, as opposed to focus on macro. The fund is high-conviction portfolio of around 25 to 50 stocks. So at the moment, there's around 30 stocks in the portfolio, and there is a clear focus on high-quality growth companies. The portfolio is actively managed, as you would expect, and do not seek to track the index. A very long-term investment horizon with a low turnover, so this is usually around 20% per annum of holding within a portfolio. It's a, it's a global portfolio and cover both developed and emerging markets. Among its top holdings, um, uh, such companies Tesla, for example, uh, this is a, a, well, it's well known, electric and clean energy company, M3, medical platform provider, and TSMS, semiconductor manufacturer. And how is performance fared? So the, the fund has delivered very strong performance relative to the index and peers since inception. It has been one of the top performance in the IA global sector. So specifically this year to the end of October, the fund returned 55%, outperforming the benchmark by 37%. And as COVID-19 has helped the fund due to its heavy weight into the healthcare companies. So specifically, UK biotech Moderna, which saw its share price almost triple while developing a vaccine against the virus. But please note that the returns are unlikely to be sustained at the current pace and past performance does not guarantee future results. And the fund had been very popular among investors. Uh, it uh, has seen huge inflows uh, this year with assets rising from 200 million at the start of the year to over 1.2 billion as of October. And again, it's very important. The fund is very competitively priced. So the B share class has annual ongoing charge of only 53 basis points. And finally, Dimitri, why do we recommend the fund? Bailey Gifford Positive Change Fund is included on the ACE 40 list as a global equities adventurous recommendations. The manager's investment horizon is a long-term and relies on building a high conviction portfolio of high quality growth stocks. And the portfolio is unconstrained by its benchmark. As such, it may look very different from its peers and performance is likely to, to substantially deviate from its benchmark and should appeal for investors with a high risk tolerance seeking sustainable growth over the longer term. Thank you, Dimitri, for running through the fund. And thank you for all of our guests today. We'll be back in a couple of weeks for the next Funds Fan podcast.